certainly from a marketing background point of view, it's finding what's at the heart and soul of your brand and then honing in on that so that you keep it very simple but give a very simple, effective message. Welcome to Rights for Women, a podcast all about celebrating women's voices and supporting women writers. I'm Pamela Cook, women's fiction author, writing teacher, mentor and podcaster. Before beginning today's chat, I would like to acknowledge and pay my respects to the Dharawal people, the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is being recorded, along with the traditional owners of the land throughout Australia. And a quick reminder that there could be strong language and adult concepts discussed in this podcast, so please be aware of this if you have children around. Let's relax on the convo couch and chat to this week's guest. Hi everyone, Pam here. Welcome to another episode of Rights for Women. Today's guest on the convo couch is someone that I have been following for quite a long time now on Facebook in particular and on social media and she has actually been on the podcast before back in the days when we had the book launch during COVID and Kel spoke to her about a new book that she had out at the time. My guest is Philippa Neffrey-Clark, and the reason I wanted to chat to Philippa today in particular, apart from, of course, her fabulous books, but really it's about today's episode is about the business of writing. And Philippa is, in fact, a USA Today bestselling author. So before we talk to Philippa, I wanted to share with you this week's writing tip. And it's not really about writing, but about something that is important to do when you're looking to have your book published, and that is to know what your comp titles are and to read within your genre. So this is something that Philippa and I talk about a little bit later in this episode towards the end, and it's also something that came up in my recent chat with my current students on my Turn Up the Tension course, is this idea of reading within your genre. So why do we need to read within our genre? Presumably, if we're writing in a particular genre, it is a genre that we also like to read in. It would be highly unusual, I think, for people to be writing in a genre that they don't like or that they're not familiar with. But if you haven't read within that genre for a while, it's important to know the kinds of books that are actually being published now in that space. The reason for that is not that you want to make your book the same, but you want to see where your book fits within that genre so that you'll know exactly how to pitch it to publishers, to agents, and also how to address it to readers. So we should all be thinking about having an ideal reader and writing books. This is more when we get to the revision phase of the writing, definitely not in the drafting stage. That's just get the words down any way you can. But when you're actually revising you need to start thinking about the reader. Who is the person who is going to read this book? And having some kind of ideal reader in mind is really important so that you're writing to them or revising to them. And this is all part of knowing where your book fits in with other books in the genre so that you can address your book, your words, your story to your ideal reader who would also read across that genre as well. So it's not just about being able to pitch the book to to agents and publishers. It's about knowing who your reader is and knowing how you're going to craft a story that your ideal reader is going to want to read. 
So one way that you can do that if you don't have time currently while you're writing to actually read loads and loads of books within the genre, and some people don't like to read them while they're writing because they're worried that they could be unconsciously emulating or copying things from other writers, and that's fair enough. But one thing you can do, particularly when you are getting into those later revision stages, is have a look on something like Amazon where there are samples of books type in whatever your genre is and then have a look at the bestsellers in maybe the top 10 or whatever in that genre and just read the sample chapters. And then that will allow you to see where your book fits, where your writing fits, where your story fits within that range of writers who are currently selling in that genre. So that's just something I think that we all need to think about when we do get to the revision stage and when we are thinking about publication and about approaching publishers and agents. Now let's get back to me telling you a little bit more about Philippa. She writes mystery, love and suspense. And she really writes from the heart about all those things that are so important. Love, dreams, secret, discovery. And the sea features quite a lot in her book. And just the world as she knows it or wishes it to be. She loves happy endings, heart-pounding suspense and characters who stay with you long after the final page. Philippa has written from what I could gather on her website, 35 books, probably more, about and that cross the mystery, romance and suspense genres. She's largely independently published and has recently signed a contract with Storm Publishing, a digital UK-based publisher. As I mentioned, Philippa has been on the podcast before, but it was quite some time ago. And since then, I've been following her progress and her enormous success in the publishing industry. I've long been in awe of her prolific writing and obviously her business sense when it comes to writing and publishing, which is a large part of what we're going to chat about today, as well as her books and her upcoming publication with Storm. So grab a cuppa and settle in for what I know is going to be a fabulous chat with Philippa Neffrey-Clark. Philippa Neffrey-Clark, welcome to Rights for Women. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. So good to have you on. And I was just saying in the intro how I have been following your career and you were on a few years ago, a couple of years ago during COVID, I think, where you spoke to Kel. That's right. Yeah, we had that book launch series during COVID. Great to have you back on. Oh, thank you so much. So just to start with, Philippa, to give people a bit of an idea of where you've come from with your writing, can you tell us, first of all, when you first decided that writing was for you and the thing that you wanted to pursue, and then maybe just a little rundown on your path to publication from that point? Yeah, absolutely. Pretty much from the time I could hold a pencil, I've been writing stories. So it's been a long time coming. I've been involved with a lot of different peripheral writing exercises, if you like. I have done some editing for a journal in the past and I've done a lot of non-fiction writing from my days back in being a championship show dog judge, of all things. (laughs) So I, I did quite a lot of writing back then and contributed to some books overseas to do with my breed of dog at that time. But fiction has always been my great love. That's where my heart is. And over the years, as I had young children and so many women, we have other calls on us that always seem to be more of a priority 
than our own needs. And I was like that. I pretty much shelved what I was doing for a long time to raise a family and help my husband with his business. And along the way, I kept writing. I wrote five feature-length screenplays, one of which was actually optioned for a while, but, you know, funding in Australia 15, Mm. 20 years ago is pretty hard to do. And then a few years ago, my son, who was a young adult by then, said, if you aren't going to hurry up and do it, you're never going to do it. Oh, isn't that lovely that he gave you such, gave you a push? He did. He did. It was probably because I kept complaining. Oh, I keep trying to write my book. (laughs) And he was just like, get on with it, mum. So I had written The Station Master's Cottage at that time as a screenplay and I spent probably about a year turning it into a novel that I was happy with. And at that point I thought of the publishing exercise, how do I do this? Because you hear so many things about how hard it is to get a traditional publishing deal and so forth. My son, same son, Nicholas, was like, Mum, self-publish. I'm like, oh, I don't know about that. I I really hadn't looked into it at all. But that's the path I ended up going down and the Station Master's Cottage was published on Valentine's Day in 2017. Okay. It was designed to be a standalone book and I was then going to take a big step back (laughs) and maybe write something else down the track. But I started to get letters and emails from readers asking what happened to some of the characters later, including some of my minor characters. And so I got stuck back into another book and it's pretty much (laughs) all I've been doing is writing ever since. That's amazing because really it's not that long ago, 2017, but when I was looking on your website, Philippa, You have lots of books on there. And, in fact, I think I counted 35. Would that be correct? It could be. (laughs) (laughs) I've got 28 titles plus some box sets and collections. But, yeah, I've just released my 28th title, but it's the 16th novel. So the rest of them are a combination of short stories or novellas. Wow. Mm. In awe. Absolutely in awe. (laughs) Just want to backtrack a little bit there. So obviously you said you've always had the love of writing. I imagine that you're an avid reader as well because those of us that love to write generally love to read. You said you wrote the screenplays too. Were they all on the same type of topic or genre? Where did they fall on your interest spectrum? Nope. I've always played around with genre. (laughs) If I have an idea for a story, I find it very hard not to pursue it. I have a great love actually, for fantasy and science fiction, and it's the only area I've not written a novel in yet. (laughs) That's next year's work. Of the five screenplays, there's The Station Master's Cottage, which is a dual timeline romantic women's fiction story, Lest We Forgive, which is the one I've released this year, and Last Known Contact, they're both crime fiction. Obelisk is my fantasy, which will be coming to a bookshop near you hopefully (laughs) one day (laughs) and the other one was originally titled Paddy's Lighthouse at the moment it doesn't have a working title it is 
with a publisher at the moment. It's been completely revamped. That on its own is a bit of a long story, but that one is, again, dual timeline, but it's got a very heart-wrenching secondary story about a young boy, so a little bit different. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I really want to get into that genre-hopping stuff with you in a minute. But the other thing that was is really interesting, I find, is you just mentioned that you have a book with a publisher and I know you've signed for some publication with Storm Publishing, which I yes. also want to get onto. But you have been independently publishing. What informed that decision initially to take the kind of indie route that you've been on so far? It's a little bit sad or some people might say pathetic. I don't know, but... <laughs> Before I published The Station Master's Cottage, I did actually put it out there with an agent, an Australian agent, who is no longer living. So I'm obviously not going to say anything, Mm. you know, about this person. But the person didn't actually read the book, but spoke to me on the phone. And their first question was, what is your education and background that makes you believe you've got any right to want to be traditionally published? Now... I left school at 14, very long story, which I won't get into, but it left me always feeling lacking that Mm. I didn't have the education that I would have done. It was outside my control when I left school and it's always been a little bit of an Achilles heel for me that I didn't finish high school and for this person to launch into the fact that I needed to have had some sort of qualification to be worthy, and that's how I took it. Mm. It really put me back on my heels for a while. And um, self-publishing, not everyone thinks it's a good thing. There's still a real stigma from some authors more than readers. Readers just generally want a nice book. (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, where that stigma comes from? Yeah, But to me, I wanted the stories to be out there and that's my driving force all the time is to share my stories with readers and it's Mm -hmm. up to them to decide if they like it or not. And I imagine once you got that first book out there and you were getting feedback from readers and people saying they want another story or they want to find out more about these characters, that would have been very encouraging for you too oh, in yes. terms of having made that decision and then following that path. Absolutely. And it wasn't that it was easy because there's a lot of moving parts. And I had to learn so much. And my wonderful son, Nick, this is the last time I'm going to mention him, <laughs> but he actually did all my formatting for the first book and he uploaded everything. He taught me how to do that stuff because I just was useless. Whereas now I think nothing of uploading to seven or eight different retailers myself and I do my own formatting, but it was very exciting to be able to reach readers in a way that I could never have imagined being able to do. Your son sounds amazing and feel free to mention him as much as you like because he's obviously an important part of your story and your process. Yeah. So once you had that first book out, can you remember when you then made that next decision to to say, oh, wow, I'm going to do this again and then and how that process snowballed for you? Yeah, look, it really was within probably two to three weeks of the book coming out that I started to hear from readers and I I was just shocked that people loved the story so much 
And while it's that whole thing of strike while the iron's hot, I got stuck straight back into writing. I started unthreading some loose ends that I found in the first book. And then it was just a case to come up with a, a follow-on story of what I felt would happen. I was really feeling my way at first. I didn't have a plan. <laughs> So did it get to the point where you did think, okay, I need to have a plan. I need to work out a strategy for how I'm going to do this once you had a few books under your belt? How did you yeah. approach that whole indie publishing business? I quickly realised it was a business, a small business that I was running and I needed to take it seriously if I was going to do it that way. I had some offers from publishers in the interim, but I was very happy by the third book with what I was doing come from a little bit of a marketing and business background. We had retail stores. So I know a little bit about how business works and I just tried to apply it to being an indie author in that I needed to make sure that I was promoting myself without overextending, which is quite hard to do, <laughs> and also making a network of like-minded authors who I could share with and they could share with me and have that supportive environment that we all need. Mm. Obviously, writing is quite a lonely job at times. But, yeah, I'm, I've always probably had a little bit of a business head about it and I've looked for opportunities. I really believe in diversifying what I'm doing because I can't rely on one retailer. And so I've always looked for opportunities where I could make a little bit of money here or there if, something went wrong with supply chain okay. elsewhere. Yeah. Very smart. So there were two things that you said there, Philippa, that I just wanted to pick up on. One was learning how to promote yourself without overextending. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I know there's going to be listeners out there who are writers who are either independently publishing themselves, maybe thinking about it. I'm sure there's lots of things that, that they can learn from this discussion. And it doesn't matter whether you're indie or trad, that whole minefield of promoting yourself and promoting your books without really getting in people's faces too much <laughs> is quite difficult to navigate, isn't it? I love talking marketing and I don't mind any authors ever approaching me to talk marketing. I certainly don't know at all. I am learning all the time myself. What I learned in the first year is who to say no to because as an author you get bombarded with offers of promotions and there's a lot of scams out there and there's a lot of players who will take your money but they don't actually know how to get your book out there properly. I What I have found really works, and this is quite apart from paid advertising because paid advertising is the most powerful tool I have. I use Facebook ads and BookBub ads and Amazon ads and so forth. But you, if you're traditionally published, that's a little bit harder because you're effectively putting money back in the pocket of the publisher before it comes to you. It is a tricky one. So I think it is about that whole thing of networking, having people within your own genre or who attract the same kind of readers that you would attract, being able to do things like newsletter swaps. That can be wonderful. I swap my newsletter with a handful of other authors who also write similar style of books. So my readership, they love hearing about these other authors and hopefully 
their readers enjoy hearing about me. But we all know it works very well because we talk to each other about feedback we've had from our readers. And it's not a difficult thing to do, but you just have to make sure that you really back up what you're going to do. And if you send a newsletter and you've agreed to put someone's book in there, do it. <laughs> you know? yeah. While we're on newsletters, because I find this is a really interesting thing, as authors we're told, you must have an e- a mailing list. Newsletters are definitely your most powerful tool in connecting with readers. Firstly, would you agree with that? And there's three parts to this question, really. Would you agree with that? How have you gone about building your mailing list? And can you talk a little bit more about what a newsletter swap actually is? Sure, absolutely. Yes, I think it's really important. The feedback I've had over the last five and a bit years six years is that it matters to readers to hear from their authors that they love. As far as subscribers, there's a few things I do. In my back matter of every single book I publish that is an indie book, I have, oh, and in the front matter now, I have a little thing with just if you'd like to hear more from Philippa, click, click here, join the newsletter. She'll send you a newsletter once a month with promotions and occasional competitions and talk about the dog (laughs) because people love talking about their pets. I know. I talk about my horse in mine and I get more comments on that than anything else. It's I know. I do too. I do two polls a year to make sure I'm on track. And one of my questions was, am I putting too many photographs of Maverick, our Labrador, in? And most people came back with, you're not putting enough photos. (laughs) I love it. But look, that's definitely one because hopefully by the time they've read my book, they've gone, oh, I like her. I want to know what she is going to do next. So they join the newsletter. So that's one way to do it. There's quite a lot of places like Book Funnel. Book Funnel is a big website in the US, but it's quite global. And you can join different newsletter builders So what would happen would be that you would have a book either to give away, you might have a short book that you've written or a book, a magnet, or even just chapters out of a book or a cookbook that you've written, something like that, but something different that Mm. goes into a promotion and every author shares that to their existing newsletters. But, of course, that means you have to have one already. But that actually works quite well. But there are different companies that are book sweeps. That's a really good one. They've got a big readership. People enter to win a book and usually a Kindle or something along those lines that they put up as a prize. And the author pays that $60 to be in this month-long usually promotion. And people actually have to sign up to your newsletter to go into the competition. Yeah. It can be a bit hit and miss. Not everyone will stay with you. I've got a fairly good newsletter list of about 5,000 people now wow. and it goes up, it goes down, but I've got people that have been there for a few years. Mm, mm. As far as the newsletter swap, it is basically just me putting a friend's or another author's book into my newsletter as part of the newsletter. My newsletters typically have a a little bit about what I've been up to for the last month, usually just talking the dog and the garden and all of those sort of things. 
Then if I've got a book on sale, I'll pop that in. There might be some more photographs. I might do a recipe for someone. Uh, they love their online jigsaw puzzles. So I always do an online jigsaw puzzle. I got in terrible trouble for missing one once. So I never do that. They're all the things that they've told me they like. And my demographic for readers is 50 plus women. And a lot of them are much older than that. But then I'll also have one or two spaces for recommended reads. So I suggest a book that I think they might enjoy. Someone I do swap with a lot is Michelle Montebello. Oh, yes. Michelle's been on the podcast. She's lovely. Oh, she's such a beautiful woman and she writes so well. Yes. So I'll put one of her books in if she's got a sale on. And then at some point, if I've got a book on sale, she pops it into her newsletter. So it's just a means of getting into someone else's hands that mm. may not see you otherwise. But obviously, I would not put a highly steamy book in mine because my readers tend to be not so much into erotic and steamy. Yeah, yeah you know your audience and you're giving them the sorts of material that they're interested in, which makes sense. When you went through the early stages of becoming an indie author and getting more and more books out, what were some of the important tools that you had to get your head around in terms of learning about them and how to use them? That's a really good question. From a writing point of view, I just write in Word, very straightforward. I don't really even use any of the proofing programs. I write in Word. I have vellum, so I do all my formatting with vellum. It gives a beautiful professional finish. It does. I've used vellum. It's really good. And it's so easy to update back matter and do all of that sort of thing as well. Um, they're probably my two largest tools. The biggest thing, the biggest learning curve was uploading to retailers and finding my way around this very confusing book world of you know, different types of ebooks. We had Mobis back then until recently, and everything had has to be done a certain way. I'm very lucky I've got some wonderful cover designers, so I don't have to worry about the size of the cover. That's their problem which is really good. I think it is just that holding of, of just the same as everybody. We all have little things to learn about that are harder at some times than others. At the moment, I'm sure we're all trying to get our heads around the new public lending rights for ebooks and audiobooks. Yeah. Yes. I noticed on your website that you do have your books in audio too, Philippa. How have you gone about organising that? Yeah, that's fun. <laughs> Expensive. <laughs> I have, I don't have all of them in audio at this okay. point. The River Zen series, Station Masters Cottage and so forth, was acquired by Podium Audio. They're a big American, indie, they only take on indie books. Okay. And they were behind The Martian. Oh, really? Yeah, that was their first book. And before it became a film. So they took care of all of that. They were my first audio books. I've used three narrators now. Because in Australia we don't have access to ACX, which is what is how part of well, English and Americans can use it to get onto Audible with royalty share and so forth, we have to either give our books to a publisher to do with audio. I believe you're with. Belinda, aren't you? Yes, very recently. Yeah, they've taken my backlist, which has been great. That is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very happy about that. I saw the cover today of your 
most recent one. Oh, all we dream. Yeah, oh, so beautiful. That's all right. I've put three books into audio with human narrators. I have played around with Google Play with their artificial intelligence narrators okay. when they bought it out last year, but I don't really do anything about that. It just sits on Google Play and mm. I go, oh, dear, because I'd rather use human narrators. Yeah. But I've used two Australian narrators who I've sourced and hired and they've had their own studios at home. So they've done the whole thing, sent me the files, and then I've uploaded them through Findaway Voices I was going to ask you if you use Findaway. I've heard a lot about them. Yeah, they're quite good and pretty straightforward to use. I go direct to Kobo because you can upload direct, which is good. So the rest of them, they don't really let you do that. So that's good. This year I stepped into a slightly different direction and I hired the narrator, but I also hired a studio of, which is in Port Melbourne called Square Sound. They've done a lot of audiobooks for traditional publishers and they're extremely experienced. But I had a totally inexperienced narrator. Um, I asked John Wood to narrate my new crime fiction release and he agreed, but he had only narrated his own memoir at that point. (laughs) It is quite a skill, isn't it? Oh, yes, it's huge. And he was quite terrified of the whole concept and made me go there every day so I could give him feedback but it was a wonderful experience it very expensive exercise and I'm really plugging that audiobook everywhere to try and make my money back at the moment make sure you give me the link and I'll put it in the show notes that would be lovely (laughs) but I, I just I did that because I wanted to try and extend myself as an author in Australia Most of my readership is in the United States, even though my books are nearly all Australian. Wow. Okay, let's talk a bit about that because that is quite the feat to have accomplished that because things that I hear is the US or we just don't have a US audience for Australian stories. So you are living proof that's not the case. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I'm not sure how it really happened. I suppose I didn't go into it with any preconceived ideas of where my market was or not. We didn't have a lot of advertising available in Australia, certainly not via Amazon, and we didn't really have a big presence here with Kobo and some of the others that are making inroads now. I think probably in the first one or two years, I probably was in some promotions in the US that just seemed to click with readers. And before I knew it, that was my readership. It just grew organically. The first year or two, I did get a few comments in reviews about my books being, not being correctly, not having correct spelling and terminology. And I gave that a lot of thought and I'm not going to write Australian books with American spelling. That's never happening. So instead I just put a little note in the front of every single book that just says it's this book is set in Australia. It's written in Australian slash British English mm. for an authentic experience. And oh, you what may... a great idea to put yeah. that in the front of your books. Yeah. Yeah. I think more and more people are doing that now and it's all but stopped those sort of comments. 
But I get most of my mailing list is also American and they love seeing parts of Australia. I took a photograph of a kangaroo in my driveway, which was unusual. We don't get a lot where I am. And they just loved it. It's so funny. But I love being able to share Australian stories with Australian cities and towns and regions and our unique way of life with the rest of the world. That matters to me to be able to do that. That's great. And do you target some of your like Facebook and Amazon advertising to international audiences? I do. In fact, until this year, I had hardly promoted in Australia, but because of John Wood, (laughs) I decided I'd, because his voice is so Australian, I really have promoted here in Australia and it's great. I'm starting to get a bigger audience here now, which is lovely. That's fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. And have you had much luck with BookBub? Philippa, because that's another tool, isn't it, for getting the word out there about your book? I love BookBub. (laughs) One of my hints for BookBub is to, for every author, no matter how published, is to claim your author page on the BookBub website, edit it, make it look pretty, make sure all your books are up, all the links are up, recommend books you enjoy reading, be visible because the more followers you have, the easier it is to get a BookBub deal, I think. That could be where I'm going wrong. I've tried a few times and haven't been able to get one, but I'm really slack at going on there and recommending books. I've probably only got 10 or 15 recommended, but at least I've got some there. I just forget to do it. And (laughs) (laughs) I've not got a massive amount. Some people have like Lucy Score or Colleen Hoover would have probably half a million followers on there and I've probably got a 1,000 or 1,500. But it is nice to encourage people to review you there as well. Okay. Because that then goes, it's a bit like Goodreads, it goes on to their friends will see it and so Oh, forth. right, okay. Um, as far as the BookBub deal, I've been so lucky. I think I've had 14. Oh, Wow. I have lots of handy hints about how to get them, so I'm happy to share. (laughs) Maybe we'll talk later. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) They are game changers. They truly are. Two years ago when I was wanting to become full-time, I worked into a position where I felt I could and I wouldn't sink. It's taken me a few years to get there. I applied for a book bar at the same time that I came out of Kindle Unlimited because I originally started as a wired author and then I burnt myself out. I wrote six books in a year and I had major burnout and I couldn't even look at a promotion. I just just had had enough. So I put all my books into Kindle Unlimited for a couple of years. But in order to be full-time, I wanted to be wired. Mm. And I was so lucky I got a deal just as I was doing that and it went all the way through all the wired retailers Kobo and Apple and Barnes and Noble and Google Play, and it just started to build my audience up again. That's brilliant. And do you do books that you're basically giving away for free for those deals, or are you doing a reduced price? It really varies. At the beginning of every month, I apply. I, I get knocked back a lot more than I get. Yeah. Station Masters Cottage has had too many. They've it's had I think eight over the years, and it's. I'm not going to even apply for another 12 months because I'm not getting as many downloads. But that is a permanently free book, so it's very easy 
to give back to them if I am desperate. I really want one. Yeah. 99 cents I usually apply for. I've now got a couple of, I've got a series back in Kindle Unlimited. So I've just applied for a free one with the first in that series because it's easier to do free. When you're yeah. wide, it's really hard to do free because Amazon doesn't always price match. Okay. Yeah, so many things, isn't there, that you have to consider. It's very strategic. We could do a whole episode just on that, I think. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things that I'm really curious about, Philippa, and we've talked about the fact you write across a whole lot of different genres, have always done. We told about author branding and how it's so important to know what your brand is. How do you navigate that whole situation of author branding when you do write across a whole variety of genres? Yeah, I really messed up to begin with because I didn't give it any thought. Just going back to what you were saying before about did I end up with a plan? I did, but by then I'd already (laughs) probably I'd made it quite hard for myself. I think my books are close enough to each other for them to all be safely under my brand, my name. Even though we've got romantic women's fiction and we have crime fiction, they all always have an uplifting ending. I never will write a book that leaves people sad or distressed mm. when they finish reading. So that's just something that's important to me, that readers go away feeling happy, even though then maybe during the book they've been emotional. That's what we all want, isn't it? Definitely. I'm always happy if people say they cry. Me too. <laughs> I think in hindsight, there's a few things I would have done differently. One is I probably would have set up a company as my publishing name. I've used my name the whole time as my publisher. That's where my ABN is and so forth. I was recently surprised to have, I think, president or something of an organisation, I'm not going to say which one, Mm. reach out to me and tell me that by me using my name as publisher, that's the same as fantasy publishing. It's a bit sad, but it did make me think that perhaps I should have done that. Then I could, if I had wanted, to have used pen names a bit more easily. I do have a pen name for my one and only nonfiction book. I've got a little happiness and comfort book that I wrote at the beginning of COVID, but that's under my real name, the name I was given when I was a child. So it took you some time to establish what your author brand was. What would you say to people who are out, you know, maybe about to publish a book or one or two books in, whether that's indie or trad or whatever, what would you say about this issue of branding and how to go about working out what your brand is and then establishing it? Yeah, that's a really tricky one. Certainly from a marketing background point of view, it's finding what's at the heart and soul of your brand and then honing in on that so that you keep it very simple but give a very simple effective message with mine i have a logo of a painted woman who's standing looking out at the ocean and there's a yacht in the distance she's lovely i saw her on your website and i just use three words to describe what i write i forgot what they are love mystery suspense that's the one I know, because I've been on your web. Mystery loves suspense. Oh, my gosh. That's a worry, isn't it? Yeah, mystery loves suspense. I had to go and look at my website. 
I've been editing today, so the brain's, yeah, not very creative. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what I would just say with branding. Just make, just pick the thing that you feel best represents who you are. Yeah, great advice. Really good. You mentioned editing and you've been editing today and we've talked about the fact you do have quite a lot of books under your belt now. You must have quite a great routine, I imagine. Be very disciplined. So could you tell us what your writing schedule is like and any challenges you find with that and then also what your process is from the beginning of when you just get an idea how that then becomes the finished product? Sure. This year I'm being very disciplined because I have taken on quite a big workload so there's not a lot of room for error in timing and so forth. It depends what I'm doing. The year before last, I wanted to write a cosy mystery series. I wanted to write three books and rapid release them. I've never done that before. It was a lot of fun. That's the Daphne Jones books, which are a spin-off of my first series. So there's that connection still there. I aim for one to 2,000 words a day, six days a week. I would write seven days a week if my family left me. I tend to get, hey, come and do something different. Come in the garden because yeah, yeah. I'm a bit of a work colleague. If I can write more than that, I will. But if I have a project going, I, 1,000 is the absolute minimum I want to write because otherwise I feel I'm not moving forward. I am very disciplined now. I trust the process. That's one thing I would have loved to have known at the beginning that I would get to a point where I understood that if I'm writing a book of 85,000 words, that there is a process to it. I'm not a plotter, which does make it challenging at times. But I tend to research as I'm going. I'm not very good at pre-researching. I will usually have 10 things open at a time while I'm writing and flit around and ask questions. And, for example, for my crime series, there's a, a local gentleman who lives not that far from me He's an ex-police sergeant and he's been fantastic because I can just throw in questions and he's very useful. So you're very disciplined. You've developed that discipline. Does part of that come for you, Philippa, from having deadlines, like whether they're self-imposed or externally imposed? Do you find that's an important part of all that? Actually, it is. I tend to just waffle. (laughs) But if I don't have a clear end in sight, it can be quite hard for me. I do silly things like put books up for pre-order when I haven't started to write the book. Okay. <laughs> I've done that. That gives bit. you a deadline. <laughs> book two in this new series, I was like, okay, when am I going to do this? Because normally I would release one book. By that time I'm already writing the next in the series and I'll have a fair idea and I'd probably put it out four or five months, whereas I put this one out for about nine months because I've got the Storm publishing books to write as I'm going as well. And that's changed my world this year. Yeah, we'll get into that one in a minute. So you said you're a pantser, basically. You don't really sit down and plot ahead of time. And you have learnt to trust the process. So you're basically sitting down, you're writing your one or 2,000 words a day. Are you revising those as you go? Or do you go right the way through the story and then go back and revise? How does that part of the process work for you? Yeah. The way my brain works, which is another thing of learning how to best have a process for myself, is that the beginning of every writing day before I do any work on a new chapter, 
I'll read what I've read the previous day and I will allow myself 15 minutes to read and tinker and that's it. If I find something's not right, I'll highlight it and that is then come back to that. Usually I'll write myself notes at the same time. I either have a whiteboard for notes or just pen and paper. If you could see my desk, it's just paper everywhere with notes. Yeah, yeah. I can relate. (laughs) It is just that case of my brain needs to know that I'm up to date with the story and then I can go forward with it. And there's times it's really hard to go forward because as I don't plot, I can get really stuck at times. But I have found that with me, if I get stuck, it's usually because the characters are trying to tell me something and I'm not listening. So sometimes I'll backtrack and reread something from the beginning or I'll read my notes and other times I just tell them off and walk away. Have an argument, get over it, move on. (laughs) So how long on average would it take you to write a book from start to finish, like from the very first day you sit down and start Mm. typing to the end of the revision process? About three months, Mm. max, Mm. max. I just wrote 85,000 words in eight weeks and I had a week off in that time too, so I was pretty happy with that. It's just the consistency. It always, you say that to someone and they go, how can you write so fast? You're just churning them out. They can't be good. But that's the first draft. I work with, depending on the book, different editors. And so there'll always be something different going on at a different time. The one I was working on today is one of my little, my my only American books. They're a little matchmaker series. Very light, sweet contemporary romances, very cute stories. But it had been sitting there waiting for me to get back to it. And I've gone through last two days, I've done my version of an edit. And then it's gone to the editor today. And do you use beta readers at all? I tend not to. I like to have everything edited before it goes to anyone. Although I do have two people that I really can rely on for good feedback so if they're not busy I'll usually throw them a book also there's a a lady in the US and she will read anything of mine and she's the best proofreader I've ever found oh brilliant I know but she won't let me pay her she just picks up things that have been through three edits or five edits and two proofreaders (laughs) oh we all need one of her oh she sounds amazing yeah Yeah. it sounds like you've got the whole process fairly finely tuned now the next exciting thing for you too is that you have got this book deal with storm publishing which is a digital company in the uk which has been started up by the people who originally started bookature Yes. So could you tell us about that and how that has come about? It's oh, it's just insane. <laughs> I have to just backtrack quickly to last year when I was working on Lest We Forgive, which is my release from last month, the crime fiction book. I didn't know what to do with it when I finished it. It was the hardest book I've ever written and I actually had I got Louise Guy to help me. She mentored me through it and then edited for me. And she loved the book, really loved it. And I said to her, what if I try a traditional publisher? <laughs> Just go for it, but whatever you do, it will work. And so I didn't know what to do. I put it out there. I got one, two, three, four offers wow. for it. And I turned them all down. 
I didn't feel they could do as well for the book as I could. So you've got all that experience under your belt now, haven't you? None of them offered a plan or a great deal of confidence in what they could do. But at some point, I saw Storm Publishing come up on a Facebook page. And it must, it must have been when I was sending applications or sending submissions out. And I had submitted to them and forgotten about it. Two weeks later, that's how short term my memory is. Two weeks later, I got an email from Catherine, who was the second person to join Storm. She came as well with Oliver to start Storm. And she said to me, I'm reading it, I'm really liking it, but I want to talk to you about what else you've written. And so I sent her some information. Storm only asks for the manuscript. They do not ask for a bio. They do not ask for a synopsis, mm. nothing. They just base it on the story. Um, so I sent her some info and then she came back to me and she said, look, I like it and it's something we might look at, but would you like to jump on a Zoom call? So we did that and she said, would you like to write me some more River's End books? Ah, oh. was that the book that she had? Uh, no, so Less We Forgive is my new crime fiction book. River's End is my f- very first series set along the Great Ocean Road, so the Station Master's Cottage and right. okay. all of those books. She was of the opinion that it would be beneficial to me and to them because they would capture some of my existing readers and I would be able to introduce a whole new lot of readers to my mm. original series. So this was just before Christmas and at that point she said to me, can you come up with some concepts? Give me four or five concepts. So I wrote one concept (laughs) I said to her, it's this or nothing. This is what I've got. (laughs) This, this is the one. (laughs) And I sent it to her over Christmas and she came back and she goes, oh, it looks good. Can you write me a few chapters? So between Christmas and New Year I wrote four chapters and I sent it to her and she came back to me and said, I'm giving this to Emily to look at. She's just joined us and she's a women's fiction specialist. Okay. Emily fell in love with the concept and what I had written and they offered me a three-book deal to wow. write three books set in the same region but different characters. Okay. That makes sense, doesn't it? Because... As you say, your readers from that original series will then be interested in that, but it's also yeah. going to bring other people and pull them back to your previous books. So, yeah, brilliant. that's the hope. But they are they, while they're digital first, they're also going to release paperback and audiobook on the same day. Oh, so, fantastic! I know, and they have marketing plans in place, and they have partnered with TV and film agents and foreign rights agents. So. It's exciting. It is exciting. Even though you've been independently published, you're obviously not someone who is averse to any form of traditional publishing if it works for you and your books. That's it. I look at what I do as first and foremost, they're my book babies and I'm a writer at heart and that's all I have ever been. But I've also got the business head that says, you're going to look for opportunity. There's no point putting it out to the universe that you want things to succeed, but then to ignore anything that comes 
along. Mm. And like I made a terrible mistake two years ago. I signed away my rights to a five-book series to a publisher overseas and I've had to get an IT attorney involved to get my rights back, mm. which I'm hoping I'll have next month. That was a terrible experience. They asked me to pretty much give up my royalties when they went into some financial issues and, yeah, not happening. I need the money. That's right. you're, the, you're the one creating the work, so that's yeah. fair enough, yeah. And yeah. I agree with you, Philippa, about what you say when you said you've got to actually take the action as well and put stuff out there. We were talking earlier about me having the deal with Belinda and mm. initially, you know, through my agent, we were submitting to Belinda and just saying, we've got this audio backlist because I managed to get the backlist for my audio books oh, back from the publisher some time ago and they were just sitting there. So I thought we may as well give it a try and see. And yeah. I just happened to say, it's been a real lesson for me actually, I just happened to say as part of the email, oh, and I am actually working on this sequel to my first published book which is one of those that backlist and I'm thinking there'll probably be a third book as well that's going to be a trilogy there'll be standalone but a series and lo and behold they took those as well without having any I think I had a synopsis for the one I'm working on now but no idea about the third one it'll come I trust it will come that was just like may as well put it out there and see what happens and sometimes good things do come from that don't they they do and it's then up to you to decide if it really is what you want and we can't always tell sometimes something looks very good and it just it isn't and I've never written books on spec before like this between the end of January when I signed with Storm and a bit over two weeks ago was my writing time and revision time and it's with my editor such an exciting thing to say. It's with, it's with Emily at the moment and I haven't heard back. I know she's reading it. I haven't heard back and it's terrifying because yeah. she's based this three-book contract on four chapters. Shows a great deal of faith in you, doesn't it, which is really great. And they've done, you've got a great track record. Yeah, but I don't know what the next two books are about yet and I'm about to start writing one. <laughs> all right trust the process i will i will (laughs) so we've been talking for so long i could talk to you all day and you are going to very kindly answer some patreon questions too for the patreon supporters yes what would be your top tips for authors wanting to market their books and promote their books have a really good idea of what your book is about that might sound obvious but it's not you need to be able to bring your book down to a few words because advertising copy matters. I can't even remember what I was doing today, but I needed to just find three sentences to describe one of my books. And I'm like, oh no, how do I do that? If you can get to the gist of your book so that you can touch the hearts of the readers, Hmm. then the marketing side becomes easier. It's got to be about how it's gonna make them feel rather than how you feel about it. So if you can pull the emotion in, if you're doing paid advertising like Facebook, Amazon or whatever, do a good course. Learn the ins and outs and then start small but don't be afraid to go big if you start to get good results. Mm. Are there any courses you would recommend, Philippa? I do have Mark Dawson's course. I've been a lifetime member of that for a few years now. David... Gorgran, Gorgran, I can never say Yeah, I've heard him on Joanna Penn's podcast. Yeah, he's great and he's just, he does a lot of free stuff as well, which is good. 
So Amazon adds Ricardo Fayette, F-A-Y-E-T, from Reedsy. He has a free ebook, which is fantastic about getting started and so forth. Janet Margot also has, she's one of Mark Dawson's course people, but she used to work for Amazon ads. So she okay. she's good. She's got a book as well. Learn how it works for you and don't be afraid to test, particularly if you're doing some of the ads, you need to test quite a bit to make sure you're targeting. Find who your comp authors are. I, I'm terrible with that. So hard, isn't it? It's really yeah. hard because you can't read every book, so you have to you have to assume sometimes. And one um, thing that really helped me with working that out because I used to feel this self consciousness about saying my books are this person's yeah. or that person's because you feel like sometimes oh you're big noting yourself, but I like looking at it as readers who like this person's book might also like my book. Absolutely. I think that's really the whole thing. And if you do find that you're getting comments and reviews that, yeah, your book reminds them of someone, don't be afraid to target that author and so forth a little bit in what you do. Don't get caught up in scams. Don't waste your money on 99% of the things you offer. Don't pay for Instagram marketers or anyone like that because it's a waste of money and don't waste a lot of time in Facebook groups that you're not active in. So if Mm. you're active in a romance group or you're active in a crime group, promote your book when you're allowed. Yeah. Do you find social media is good marketing, like apart from the paid advertising, just being on social media itself? I don't know that I use it really well. Yeah, I have a Facebook author group and a reader group and my poor reader group. I'd love it to be like Rachel Johns. She has the best reader group. She's very active with it all. She's fantastic. She's, I know, <laughs> a little bit of her energy. <laughs> but look, I think you can waste a lot of time. I Find what you're comfortable with. I'm better with Facebook than Twitter, for example, or Instagram. Yeah. So I'm happy chatting on Facebook. Most groups that are promotion groups are filled with authors, not buyers. That's the problem, isn't it? Yeah. You can waste your time. The other thing is just locally, don't be afraid to reach out to your local bookshops, your local libraries. I've got some retirement homes in our town and they all have my books there. And it's just a case of finding, yeah, word of mouth is fantastic. Yeah. Great, great suggestions. Thank you, Philippa. And just finally, before we wrap up and then get on to our Patreon questions, what would you say is at the heart of your writing? I think regardless of what I write, I always want a little bit of, not justice, that's not the word I want, but I like things to be evened out. I like to be able to have a sense of what should be rather than often what is. Mm. We all know the world's not fair. We know it can be cruel and all of those things. But to me, it's about finding hope without getting spiritual or anything like that, but just to to have a sense of hopefulness that you can change your life. You can, you can walk away and be happier. I think that's at the heart of everything I write. It's just that Pollyanna thing, I suppose, yeah. of wanting to see the good in people and wanting people to walk away feeling good. That's really important to me. Yeah, fantastic. Mm. And, of course, before we go, Philippa, tell us about your latest and or upcoming releases. Um, the latest one is the crime book, Lest We Forgive, which has just come out. And that, it's it, as I said earlier, that was the hardest book I've ever 
written. It was a screenplay and I found when I started turning it into a novel, it was much harder, a lot more depth to it than I'd expected. Just very briefly, this story is about a retired police officer, very bitter man, very reclusive, had some things happen to him that were outside of his control or happened to his family and he's turned his back on the world pretty much. And then, unfortunately, one of those people he turned his back on is his daughter. They're estranged, but she's in a car accident and leaves behind her daughter, who's only eight years old. Uh. And Melanie goes to live with Vince. But in the interim, Vince is believing that the car accident was no accident. Mm -hmm. And Melanie's the only one who can identify the person behind the fatality. So it's part amateur sleuth with him because he arcs up and he wants to do an investigation. It's part police procedural with Detective Sergeant Liz Morland, who's starting her whole series here. And there's just this beautiful relationship between a little girl who brings light back into the heart of a man who can only see the dark. Oh, it sounds wonderful. Well, thank you. Oh, and you <laughs> described it so well. And like you say, really tapping into the emotions, which is fantastic. Oh. So that's, that's your latest release? That came out last month. And my next release is at the end of this month, which is one of my matchmaker sweet stories, complete opposite ends. <laughs> and then the most, the big exciting one is 25th of September will be my first Storm publishing book. Fantastic. Yeah. Oh. You're inspiring, Philippa. Oh, it's amazing. Thank you. Oh, no, it is. It's so good to chat to you. And yeah, as I mentioned, we are going to go on to continue to chat for the Patreon supporters. Yeah. Philippa is going to answer the four curly questions. So if you would like to hear more about Philippa's work and find out her answer to the four curly questions, you have to sign up to Patreon, which you'll find the link in the show notes for. So thank you so much for being on this very long episode and for sharing <laughs> so much with us, Philippa. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thanks for listening to Rights for Women. I hope you've enjoyed my chat with this week's guest. If you did, I'd love it if you could add a quick rating or review wherever you get your podcasts so others can more easily find the episodes. Don't forget to check out the backlist on the Rights for Women website. So much great writing advice in the library there. And you can also find the transcript of today's chat on the website too. You can find details on the website on how to support the podcast through Patreon and get exclusive access to the extended audio and video of the monthly craft episode. And you can connect with me through the website at rightsforwomen.com, on Instagram and Twitter at W4W Podcast, the Facebook page Rights for Women, or find me and my writing at pamelacook.com.au. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. And remember, every word you write, you're one word closer to typing the end. <laughs>